It's interesting the day and the age in which we live where a lot of professing Christians say, I follow Jesus. I just want to follow Jesus. I'm not so concerned about all that's in the Bible or all that the Bible says about this or that. I don't have to get into theology or anything like that. Just give me Jesus. I just want to follow Jesus. Well, one of the challenges with that is that the living word, Jesus, and the written word go hand in hand. And Jesus, as we saw in our red text this morning and hopefully through the sermon, you'll see had a very high view of Scripture. In fact, I don't think you can learn how to worship Jesus properly or to live life in a way that glorifies God apart from the revealed Word of God. And neither did Jesus, according to what he said about the Bible. Recent studies, and I, I tried my best to make sense of some recent studies, and it's difficult. They were much more predictable about 10, 15, 20 years ago. Bible engagement as a nation, for those surveyed, of course, but it was a statistically significant survey, shows that Bible engagement is on the rise, about a 2% rise in Bible engagement. And so if you're like me, you're probably not, that's a good thing, you're much smarter than I am, but I would make assumptions based on that. If Bible engagement is on the rise, then people must be believing Bible things. No, <laughs> it's so funny that Bible engagement is on the rise in certain demographics, Bible reading is on the rise in certain demographics. And the next question they would ask, do you believe the Bible is the inspired uh, word of God without error? Well, that's on the decrease. So why read it? But anyway, that's where my brain goes. And, and so they, Bible reading's on the rise, but the infallibility's kind of waning off a little bit. And then the, one of the questions was, do you believe the Bible is practical for your daily life? Yes, that's on the rise. Next question, do you, does the Bible have impact on your physical relationships? 65% of professing evangelical Christians said no. <laughs> so it's like, I want the Bible to apply to me where I want it to apply, when it makes me feel good, and I especially want to apply the Bible to my brother or sister's life, who's not living like I think they should. But as for me, I'm just going to hang with Jesus. Well, if you're going to hang with Jesus, you've got to hang with the Bible. And that's really the crux of the message today. He's described, even in Scripture, as the living word. What you think about Jesus ultimately impacts what you think about the Bible. And what you think about the Bible, you see where I'm going, ultimately impacts what you think about Jesus. Look with me at our first verse this morning. Grab your Bibles, if you will. In fact, you'll need them because at the end of the service, we're going to read an extended passage from Romans that um, we won't have on the screen because I want you handling the word uh, for that reason. That's the reason we have pew Bibles as well. But in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus speaking here, he says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I've got four headers for you today. Out beside of verse 17, if you want to write in the margins of your Bible, if you want to take notes this morning, I would write the living word. The living word. Jesus is the living word. When Jesus says he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, 
he means that they pointed to his teaching and to his presence as Messiah. We'll see that in just a few moments. They brought the purposes of God to a certain point in God's redemptive purposes and God's redemptive work and plan among his people. And Jesus' teaching and his life picked up that message and completed it. He was the living word. He's the word with flesh on. John chapter number one, you know it, says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus consistently pointed to himself and taught that he was the Messiah. The scriptures pointed to him. It's clearly revealed. In John chapter number five, verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness of me. You can't get to Jesus without getting to him through the word. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But you don't believe his writings. How will you believe my words? I'm reminded a couple of years ago, I spoke about this growing movement in Christianity called the Red Letter Christians. And they were these Christians that said, we're going to hold the red letters in the Bible as more important than the rest of the Bible. First off, that's not how they came down. That's what translators did, right? To make Bibles pretty. I get that so we could see Jesus' words stand out. But the funny thing about that is, guess what's in the red letters? Jesus speaking about the authority of scriptures. So it, it's kind of a lose-lose there. All scripture is profitable. And Jesus says, if you don't believe the black letters, you're not going to believe the red letters. That's not exactly what he said, but I'm saying that today based on what he's saying here, right? When the resurrected Jesus walked with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they recorded and reported back and said, he began with Moses and all the prophets and interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus was the living word. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Now because of the work of Jesus and his life and his death and his burial and resurrection, the judicial law and the sacrificial law are no longer in effect, but the moral law still is up and operating. Thank God for that. How did Jesus fulfill the law? How did Christ fulfill the law? As three ways, if you want to take a little subnote there. I know I always give you something with a subnote. You should know by now. He fulfilled the law as Messiah. All the prophecies concerning the Messiah pointed to him. Christ fulfilled the law as the sacrificial lamb by dying on the cross for your sins and my sins. He satisfied the demands of the law against us that would believe in him. And as a sinless man, he perfectly kept the moral law. Galatians 4 records that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, under the law. Matthew 3, Jesus said, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, He says of Himself. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, For our sake, God made Him to be no sin, who knew, or to become sin, rather, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus 
thinks of himself. Here's what Grace Covenant also thinks about the Word and the Bible. I went to our doctrinal statement of faith, our confessional statement, and, and this is what we say there. I've pulled pieces of that out that fit right with the sermon this morning. Here's what we say about it. We believe that all the scriptures are centered about the Lord Jesus Christ and that they were designed to lead ultimately to him. Remember, the living word and the written word go hand in hand. That's verse 17. As we look at verse 18, we see Jesus speaking about that perfect written word. Verse 18, the perfect written word. The Bible says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Not an iota, not a dot. Well, let me deal with this first part of the text before we get to that. For truly I say to you, some translations probably have verily I say to you. Uh, the King James often would say, truly, truly I say it unto you. I cannot ever say that in my mind or verily, verily. Remember the verily, verilys? I wish, wish there would have been like a Southern Gospel singing group called the Verilies, but there wasn't, anyway. But Ashley and I, when we were in our teens, I think, we went to hear this, um, this one-man play, and he was reciting uh, scripture. Was he Judas? Was that who it was? I think it was Judas. This guy was, was being Judas, and he would quote the Lord, and, and he would insert a little bit, and he would say, and Jesus said, verily, verily, and he looked at us, and he said, I don't know why he said it twice. And then went back into it. Every time I see truly or verily, I, I think of that line there. Here's why he said it the way he said it. it. It's interesting that there's no other teacher of the law, no other rabbi that we have record of that used this expression. This is like Jesus' signature on his teaching. So it's important because he's saying it, but he's bringing specific attention to his teaching right here. He points to the iota. The smallest letter, which is the Hebrew yad, is the word. It's like, it looks like an apostrophe. You ready for this? There are approximately 66,400 and some of those in the Old Testament. And he says, not one of them <laughs> will pass from the law. He, he mentions the, the dot, uh, the least stroke, is the Hebrew seraph. It's a tiny extension on some of the letters that distinguishes them from similar letters. Think of the letter C and the letter O. So the little line that would connect the C to make it an O, that's the equivalent of what we're talking about here. It's just little lines that make letters look and become different letters. Not one of the 66,000 plus yads or the innumerable little seraphs will pass from the law until everything is accomplished. What's he pointing to here? Here's the big doctrinal word, right? It's called the inspiration. That makes sense. We know that. But the immutability, the unchangeable nature, the settled nature forever, his word is settled in heaven. Jesus is pointing, and he's, may I remind you, as he's doing this, he's referring to the Old Testament. Now, all of Scripture comes under this but he's referring to the Old Testament. Again, in this modern day and age, ah, don't fool much with the Old Testament, just focus on the New Testament, that's really for not us. No, the Bible says in the New Testament, all scripture is for our profit and benefit. 
He's not only saying that the Old Testament contains the words of God, but in John 10, he recorded himself as saying, Scripture cannot be broken. Heaven and earth will pass away, Matthew 24, 35, but my words will not pass away. He treated the historical narratives in the Bible as straightforward records. I'll try to move this quickly for you, but I want you to think with me how Jesus taught. He regularly referred to the Old Testament as straightforward facts. There's no record of him ever undermining Scripture in any way. He referred to Abel in Luke 11. In Matthew 24, he refers to Noah, Abraham, and John, and Matthew, Sodom, and Gomorrah, Lot, and Isaac and Jacob and the manna that came down from heaven and the wilderness and the serpent and David and Solomon and Elijah and Elisha and Jonah and Moses. He taught it straightforward fact. This actually happened and I'm teaching based on this. He's preaching and teaching from the scriptures. What you believe about the written word affects what you believe about the living word. The opposite is also true. From our own statement of faith concerning the doctrine of the scriptures, this is how we state it. It fits right in line with this. Now you know where we got it from. We actually got these doctrinal statements from the Bible. It's pretty awesome. We felt like it was a good source text. We believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Ah, so does Jesus. Pretty awesome. The authors, having been moved by the Holy Spirit to write the very words of Scripture, we believe that this divine inspiration extends equally and fully to all parts of the writings as they appeared in the original manuscripts and that they are all, therefore, another word we don't use all the time, inerrant. Ready for this? Without any mixture of error. That's what we believe. Why? Because what we believe matters. Why? Because we say we follow Jesus. And Jesus had a high view of Scripture. This little text here is a pretty awesome text from the Sermon on the Mount. We see the living word, the perfect written word, and now we see the essential word in verse 19. The essential word in verse 19. I'll give you time to write that. Jesus pointed there. He says, don't relax. Look, don't. I heard a modern-day preacher say it this way when he was speaking of a church that was bordering on heresy with the way they were treating a certain doctrine in the Bible related to scriptural authority, he, he used this phrase, and it stuck with me. He said, don't do violence to scripture. I, I've never thought about that, but you are assaulting scripture when you try to make it mean something it doesn't mean, where it takes away from the glory of God and the supremacy of Christ. Jesus said the same thing. He's like, don't, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches others to do them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Galatians 3, the Bible says that all who rely on works of the law under a curse are works. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them James in the New Testament said, if you keep the whole law but fail in one point, you become guilty of all of it. The law matters. 
A completely true and trustworthy Bible should be handled with the utmost care and love. You cannot have a living relationship with Jesus. You cannot have a vibrant relationship with Jesus and ignore the scriptures. You can't do it. Again, you can't say, I- I'm just going to follow Jesus. You won't know where he's going without your Bible. I, I believe, I've heard somebody say this before from up here. It's modern vernacular, I know, but it, it works. Get into the Word so the Word can get into you. It matters. It's no trifling matter. What did Jesus say about our obedience to the Word of God? It's essential Here's several scriptures to back it up. John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What would Jesus do? He would obey the scriptures. 1 John 2, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Not that you signed a card or checked a box or you showed up for church or that your giving is on point. Are you keeping the commandments? Are you walking in the spirit in obedience to the word? 1 John 3, 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This next verse is one of my favorites and least favorites at the same time. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Rutrow and his commandments are not burdensome. You show me someone who's always complaining about obeying scripture and I'll show you someone who maybe has their faith misplaced. It's not in the Lord Jesus Christ. His commandments are not burdensome. I could give you great pontification. Well, you know me better than that. I can't. But let me give you somebody who did, who could say it in a pithy way that made it really have an impact. Spurgeon, on this verse, made this note. May I both do and teach according to thy word. Whether I am little or great on earth, make me great in obedience to thee. The world may never know your name, but heaven takes note of our obedience. From our own statement of faith, you didn't think I was going to skip that, did you? Look how we weave it in concerning the doctrine of the scriptures. It's the last part of it. We say, we believe that all scriptures are to be used for our practical instruction why because his commandments are not burdensome why because if we love him we follow his commandments why because we abide in Christ we didn't make this stuff up what is Christ showing us about the law in this passage what's he teaching us about the Bible we're reminded that he alone is the living word we're reminded that the scriptures are indeed the perfect word of God revealed for his glory we're reminded that they are absolutely essential for our life to prosper on God's terms 
And because of this, because we know the living word and the written word go hand in hand, our righteousness can be genuine and more than skin deep. We don't need any more fakers. We don't need any more people who just say they're Christian in name only because they're not something else. We talk about this great exodus of the people from the church and the growing segment identifying religiously as the nuns, and I don't mean N-U-N-S, I mean the N-O-N-E. That means they're not affiliated at all religiously. And many people see those stats and they're shocked. Oh, people are leaving the church. And Some of us pastors and elders are looking at that and saying, yeah, this is probably accurate. The lines are being more clearly drawn. John tells us they were never with us. It's just no longer culturally um, expedient for them to claim a spiritual identity. It's actually cool now to say you're not affiliated. So when it was cool to say you were a Christian, people did that. It's hard to believe that existed at one point. But, but they're, they're, they're quote-unquote leaving. No, I think they're just better identifying themselves. Look at what the Bible says here in in verse 20. I tell you, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. It sounds like the bar is pretty high already. Right? I'm the living word. I've come to fulfill everything. Uh, The the Bible is infallible. It's inerrant. It's perfect. And and it's absolutely essential if you want to walk with God. And, and, and... Remember back in the day, everybody looked at the Pharisees as the ones who kept every part of the law, even parts that weren't there. Y'all know that, right? They were even writing their own where they found some holes. I'll address that in just a moment. And he's saying, and I want your righteousness to be more than theirs. Well, obviously, he's not talking about the show that they put on for others, but about something deeper. You see, the Pharisees, as you read the Gospels, and if you read any narratives around that time, you find that the Pharisees' righteousness was actually not so great, uh, to say the least. It was merely external. Time and time again, we see this happening. That's not all of them, but for most of them, the lion's share of them, of course, we see that their, their righteousness was mostly external. It was focused on the ceremonial more than anything else. The rules that they added, watch this, actually reduced the demands of the law that made on people's hearts. I remember one songwriter not too long ago said, don't teach me how to live in liberty, just give me a new law. Don't don't teach me how to think biblically, just give me something else to obey. Give me another rule to follow. I I don't want to think on this on my own. I don't need to trust God. Just tell me something not to do. That's where the Pharisees were excelled in their giftedness they were self-made and self-satisfied can i just tell you that i'm afraid our churches are full of people who have an external form of christianity that's ceremonial it happens every sunday morning and it ends as they leave the parking lot and, and they don't mind adding rules. They mix in American patriotism. They mix in all these other rules and a thing and, and call that Christianity. And, and it doesn't look like biblical Christianity. They've reduced the demands that the law actually makes on our hearts. And, and we describe ourselves as self-made, self-satisfied. Well, that's, that's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of the word. Jesus wants more. He came to bring you more. But can I just point you to an Old Testament passage? Even the Old Testament wants more for your life than that. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from out of your mouth. 
but you should meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. I love the second part of this. Look, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Context is everything. We're talking about walking with the Lord and advancing the Lord's cause. Being useful to the Lord. Psalm 119, I have stored your heart, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How in the world can we do more and better than the Pharisees? You ready? Here's the answer. You wrote the formula? By grace alone. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. By praying and asking God by His Spirit to help us to put into practice what we're studying, by getting in the Word so the Word can get into us. It's not really even try harder, it's trust more. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Christ did what we could never do. Christ fulfilled the law. His righteousness exceeded that of all of the best of the best of the scribes and the Pharisees had to offer. He fulfilled the law by leading a perfectly righteous life. He fulfilled its demands by dying for us on the cross. I said it earlier, but this is our only hope that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. How do we do it? Grab your Bibles. I told you we would do this. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Mark, there aren't slides for that. That's on purpose, but I do have one scripture after that that I believe I have a slide for. Romans chapter 8. In our men's group and in our ladies' group, we're going to work on scripture memory. That's a part of it. It's one of the disciplines that can do more in your spiritual walk and your spiritual life than, I mean, than so many other things. You think about all the things we take time to fill our minds with. It's probably good that we would fill our minds with some Bible. Just a thought, right? I know y'all pay me to say stuff like that, but it's just a thought, right? I think it would help out. This would be a great passage to memorize. Romans 8, 1 through 9. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set our mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, look at those two words, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God. Verse 9, final verse. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
Are you Christ's this morning? Do you belong to Him? Have you come to know the living Word because of the written Word and seen that the written Word said it was essential to know the living Word on His terms? Christian, are you lacking some fruitfulness in your life today? What's the solution? As the musicians come to prepare our hearts just to respond to the text this morning. I love this passage in John 15, 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you might fool everybody around you. You might have an external form of righteousness, a ceremonial form of righteousness. You might like rules, but you're not doing anything that's worth anything. I would hate to waste my life thinking I was pleasing God. These four little powerful verses this morning speak of Christ and the law, the authority of scriptures, Christians and the law. There's a word here for all of us this morning. Don't ignore the Bible. Your life depends on it. Let's pray. we all stand in the need of grace to trust you more. Would you do that deep and abiding work in our hearts and minds today that only you can do? Lord, for the one who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, only knows you as that God that those people talk about on Sundays. For the one who is near so many Christians and near so many uh, ceremonial expressions of the faith. But they don't have a deep righteousness in them. Oh, for grace to convict them of sin and draw them to you. May we repent and trust you today. And for my brothers and sisters in Christ who have found it easy to keep some of the spiritual disciplines in life but maybe have neglected our precious Bibles, Lord, give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness and remind us that the key is in the pages. We love you. We need you. We thank you for your presence with us here today, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand together and sing songs.